Well, good morning, everyone. So good to see you today. Thanks for being here. Too bad it's not 60 degrees outside. Amen. Um, we're in a series called Dangerous Prayers. This is our second week uh, for this. And the reason we decided to kind of take this on the month of October is because we're trying to look at prayers in Scripture, um, things that are requests about God, things that are, that, are, that are tough. And the reason they're tough is because we are intimidated um, by these, these prayers. We tend to avoid them. And if you weren't here last week, we talked about the prayer, Search Me. And then today we're going to move on and we're going to talk about a really tough one, uh, Bless Our Enemies, okay? So uh, today may feel a little bit uncomfortable to you, but nonetheless, it makes us better followers of Jesus. I'm going to go out on a limb here, um, but my guess is that most of us, um, even, even the most watered-down version of that would be that a lot of us in this room have removed praying for our enemies from our personal practice of following Jesus. Um, it, it's one of those things that we just despise doing. And it's so easy to take this teaching and tuck it away and just not worry about it. Because our world does not function this way. Um, our world functions in a very nasty, backbiting social media uh, way where we publicize the offender. Uh, we make it known our feelings toward them. And even as people who claim to be Christians uh, struggle with this area, and I would be a fool to act hypocritical this morning and tell you that I've never struggled in this area because I have. So I want us to be reminded of a teaching that Jesus did. I'm going to take you to Luke chapter 6. Uh, this teaching is in a few of, of the Gospels, but I'm going to use Luke's account of it. And I'm just going to read two verses today regarding this, this thought. But verse 27 and 28 of Luke, he says this, But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. That word mistreat um, equates in other translations as abuse you. Right? Now, if we can agree right off the bat in this message today that an enemy is indeed, if we look at this verse, and we can all agree that an enemy is someone who hates you and someone who curses you and someone who mistreats you or abuses you, then we could reread our text today to say this. Love your enemies. Do good to your enemies. Bless your enemies. Pray for your enemies. So this leads us to a question that we all can come up with the answer for, but I'm just going to go ahead and define it for us. But who's our enemy? And if we just use a little bit of Scripture and some life experience, man, we could come up with, with quite the, uh, the list of who an enemy could be 
even defining it the way Jesus did. But I'm going to cover just a, a, a few here. The first one is Satan. Now, this is one that we're off the hook about. Okay? We don't have to be nice to him. All right? But he is indeed the enemy. And 1 Peter 5 and 8 reminds us of that when he says, Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, if it's been a while since you've read this, the word devour there means to eat, okay? Or to gobble up, all right? So he's looking for someone's soul to eat up, someone's life to devour. Someone's marriage to gobble up. And so he's pacing and looking and wanting that for all of us. He's an enemy. But then it comes down to these very sensitive ones that we tend to have some gray area about. And the, the first one I want to talk about there is family. So when we look at family, we know through another teaching that Jesus is doing in Matthew chapter 10... He says this in verse 36. He says, a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Now, granted, the context here is he's talking about the gospel. He's saying the gospel is going to split homes. But when we look at this principle of that peace is not always going to be in every home, we see it play out uh, in, in Scripture, page after page after page. If you just take um, the early portion of Scripture, man, you see Cain and Abel. You see Jacob and Esau. And you see Joseph's brothers, and they, they all had significant dynamics involved. Even though God loved them, was on their team, uh, had, had great things in store for them, had, had gone into covenant with them, and given them promises, those families were divided based upon some type of inner turmoil or angst a situation that they felt like they could not handle, and suddenly these homes that were once cohesive become different nations over time. So family, we see that play out. Next week we have friends. There's sometimes that friends suddenly turn and become enemies. I think if we, you know, polled you this morning, you, you could easily say, yeah, you know, we used to be close, but we're not anymore. I don't want to talk about it, but something happened and this transpired and now we don't even talk anymore. And even when you think about them, when you bring them up in your own thoughts, um, you get upset about it. Uh, they may not even be a, a around. And ironically, you can even continue to have those feelings of, of hatred and rage against someone who's not even in this world anymore. They've passed, but the thought of them is very much alive inside of you. And so friends can turn, and Proverbs 26 tells us this in verse 18 and 19. I love the wording on this, and this isn't even the Message Bible, but it says, like a maniac shooting flaming arrows of death. I love that, okay? How about those friends, right? Maniac shooting flaming arrows of death is one who deceives their neighbor, and this word neighbor always equates to friendship, and then says, hey, I was only kidding. Okay, so they do something crazy, and they say, hey, hey, I was just kidding around. Don't take, don't be so serious about it. And when you think about this, there are so many people in Scripture who were close who ended up just, just hurting each other. So they are not far removed from the life that you and I live today. Peter denied him. Judas betrayed him. 
Thomas doubted him. But these were all people he was very close to. So even on the inner circle, um, people who, uh, including, I mean, Peter especially, went on to be a world changer. In the inner circle, there, there, there was some hurt. Uh, Peter, even at one point, uh, considered washing his hands of it. Just We find him later in, in that gospel fishing again. Some of you, maybe this morning, you've even perceived God as your enemy. Some of you, you, you know, you start your, your January re- reading, and that's coming up, by the way, just a few weeks till Christmas. And you'll hit January, this is my year to read the Bible. This is it. It's going to happen. And you hit Genesis, and man, all these characters are alive. And you're like, if this is what the rest of the Bible is like, this is going to be awesome. And then you hit Exodus, and all this war is taking place, and all of that. And then you hit Leviticus. And this is where the one-year Bible goes to die. Leviticus. It ends for you. Some of you are in Leviticus 2 right now. Okay? It's bookmarked for you, and you're stuck just right there. You're not going any further. And you, you read this, you know, these stories about the Old Testament portrayal of the Father, and that's how you see that played out in your life. And this is one of the greatest things I, I love about Jesus is he came to fix that perception. He, he was like, there's nothing that I do that doesn't come from the Father. I mean, I, I'm here to demonstrate to you his love for you. But there may be a lot of us in this room, okay? And I know this is, I'm only a few minutes in to confront this, but there may be a lot of us in this room who have made God in some way in our lives an enemy. And this has come out or fleshed out in your mind in different ways, but we think he handled something in a manner that we would have done differently. He said, I mean, even me being human, I would have handled this differently. And in some way, something clicks in your mind, and now God's the bad God. You look at God and you say, man, you've got terrible timing. Like, this is just awful timing. I mean, you're, you're days late, months late. This even happened in Scripture. People in their humanity question Him. Mary and Martha were like, you know what? You're a little late. Had you come sooner, this would have never happened. We've taken that same thing and just rolled it forward. Some of you think he's ignoring your life. Like you scan your life and you look at it and you go, "There's, I don't even see his involvement. I don't see his hand on my life. Use words like favor, touch. I don't see his favor on me. I don't feel his touch on my life. Some of you, you don't think that God is good or that he doesn't have your best in mind. And so you've set him up to be this enemy in your life. And so when we look at these things like friends and family and even God, we have to realize that that there's got to be this moment in our life where we transition away from these thoughts and feelings of resentment and bitterness for the sake of our own growth, for the sake of our health. 
And so this big challenge is coming out from Jesus to those who are only listening. And he starts it this way. This is basically a way of, of communicating, hey, everybody sit up straight, put your shoulders back and focus on me. That's what he's saying. For those of you who are listening, he says, I want you to get this. And so when the Bible tells us about bless our enemies or pray for our enemies, we have to look at a Hebrew tradition to really understand the enormity of what this prayer really means. Okay? The Hebrew people had a tradition of blessing. And they, they would give it. And there's, there's a few things that we know about it. Okay, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but we know that it was an extended from the biological father to the firstborn son. And it was filled with rich words of affirmation and endowment and exhortation or encouragement. Sometimes it had a prophetic angle to it. Like this is what the Lord is going to do for you. And it was spoken over that son. And so many times those giving the blessing would raise their right hand and those receiving it would raise their right hand as if they were going to high five a blessing to each other. But it was a very formal thing, a, a, a notion of I am about to bless you. And to the Hebrews, this blessing was very tangible. It was just as tangible to them as if someone walked up to you and said, I just made a deposit into your account. It was real to them and had weight to it. It was practiced as consistently as we today practice communion or baptism. It was frequent. It, it was rich. It had value to it. And so the blessing was very supernatural to them. If you read in those, in those early books, you'll see that when it was done, it totally changed the trajectory of someone's life. That some, a, 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 a boy who wasn't mature suddenly got it, that God had a plan for him. Or that his father loved him. Or that he needed to grow up and become the patriarch of the family. It quickly changed things. It was a blessing. And so when he comes out and says, I want you to bless those who have abused you. Pray for your enemies. This, had, this, this, this language was enormous to them. You want us to do to our enemies what Abraham Gave what Jacob gave? You want us to do that to the people who have wronged us? This was a massive teaching. Forever, um, you know, them having to decide, am I still on board? I mean, if you're challenging me to take our tradition of the blessing and put that on someone who's hurt me, I don't know, Lord. Okay, But Proverbs 18 tells us the tongue has the power of life and the power of death. That what you and I speak and share over each other, 
the words that we release into the lives of those around us have weight. Weight enough to shape them and change a circumstance completely. This week, I don't know if you've been following the Amber Geiger story, but this video I'm about to show you has gone viral. And I just want to show you two minutes of it. If you haven't seen this, it's amazing. It is God revealed. If you have seen it, I just want you to give me two minutes of patience. But watch this. I know if you go to God and ask Him, He will forgive you. And I don't think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I, I, I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't going to ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's what that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I'm not gonna say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can, can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yeah. You guys give it up for that young man. Isn't that amazing? If you haven't followed this story, I encourage you to do so. It's, it's been, it's been in, incredible. The definition of forgiveness is exactly what we just saw. It is a conscious, deliberate decision to release resentment toward anyone who has harmed you regardless of whether they actually deserve it. Powerful. Let me tell you what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not us saying that the offense is okay. And I think this hinders us because we feel like if we're going to forgive, if we're really going to let something go, if we're going to really get, get over it, then we are lowering our, our, our standards. We are, we are lowering our expectations of other people. And it's like in some way we're saying, if I forgive you, then I'm saying it's okay what you've done. And that's not true. Forgiveness is also, also doesn't mean that you have to be best friends with that person. You don't even have to be an acquaintance with them. You can still be wise and forgive. And sometimes the wisest thing about forgiveness is to love them from a distance. That we forgive, but that doesn't mean we're saying that what, what you did was right. 
And it doesn't mean that now we're going to go and have coffee. But I will release you. And I will love you from a distance because that's, that's wisdom. Here's, here's a, a, a big truth that I want us to walk away with, and I'm going to get to the application of this message. A big truth is this. A single offense, a single one, a single offense in your life can create enough bitterness and resentment to ruin your whole life if you hold on to it. A single offense. It would amaze you if the Lord let us see with spiritual lens right now at how many of us were harboring something that is decades old. So a bigger truth than that one is this. We can carry that bitterness and resentment from that single offense anywhere in the world that we go and into every season of life we find ourselves in. Meaning this, you can pack up everything you own and move to another part of the world and still take it with you. You can leave a relationship and get into another one and another one and another one and still be carrying the same offense. So the meaning is this. You can take resentment from your dating years into a marriage. You can take bitterness from your parents and project it onto your own children. And you can take a grudge from one church and drag it into a million sanctuaries. How? Because holding bitterness and withholding forgiveness is a choice. And you and I get to make it. You and I get to decide a conscious, deliberate choice to say, I am going to forgive you. Does, does, does it mean that it, it feels great? No. I don't know if you've ever gone into your quiet time, your prayer time, and blessed your enemies. But it's awful. Come on, somebody. Because <laughs> there's only two of us who have ever done it. So we know how to pray for them. Because I know some of you have prayed diseases, you've prayed for gas tanks to empty, you've prayed hair to fall out, Egyptian plagues. We know how to pray for our enemies, but not the way he's talking about in Luke. He's saying we got to spin it. We got to turn it. We got to do the blessing over our, our enemies. Charles Stanley made this great, this great quote in talking about things like, like, like this. He, he, he said this, Will this decision result in unrest and regret for the rest of my life? He's saying when I, when I decide to withhold forgiveness, 
and to harbor bitterness, will that decision create unrest in me for the rest of my life? Is it going to create regret in me for the rest of my life? It's big. So let me give you some points today. The first one is this. Forgiveness does not equate to weakness. I think this is one of the things that we struggle with. We think, if I put the shield down, it means I'm weaker. If I decide to lay down the sword, it means that you've won. If, if I decide to, to open my arms and embrace, then it, somehow this is equating in our minds to say, you got the best of me. And pride leads the way in that. I'm not going to let, let, let you get the best of me. If any one of us gets, gets tired, it's going to be you. Because I'm going to hold this against you. You're never going to hurt us again. You're never going to bother us again. This is never, ever, ever going to happen. I'm going to tell my kids about you, and they're not, not going to like you. And I'm going to tell my grandkids about you, and they're not going to like you. And I'm going to gather all my friends together. I'm going to tell them what you did, and I'm going to put it out to 2,500 of my friends on Facebook, and they're not going to like you. We're forging an army here. We're not going to like you. Forgiveness does not equate to weakness. Actually, listen, blessing our enemies is only done through the Spirit's strength. You can't do it by yourself. You can't. It's not in you. It's not in me. We cannot bless our enemies on our own strength, but hating your enemy is done on your own strength, and it's exhausting. To carry it year after year after year after year. And in a city like ours, man, you go to Walmart, you might see three people you need to bless right there. And here you are, a grown person with your cart, and you are pacing yourself. You're walking faster, you're avoiding aisles. You're taking 50 items to the self-checkout. Why? Because you don't want to go down there and possibly bump into them. And then you get into your car and it's like all this anxiety releases off of you and you come to your senses and you say things like, what am I, in fifth grade? Why? Because it's, it's not in you. You've got to have the Spirit's strength to push through this. The second thing, forgiveness makes room. Unforgiveness and bitterness and resentment just sucks the air right out of you. And it just grows and grows and grows and grows and it begins to push out everything that is alive in you and suddenly you start to live only from this one place, from resentment and, 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 and bitterness. And if you don't get healing from this, you will end up bleeding over everybody who never cut you. And you'll take it into relationships and friendships where nobody's done anything, but suddenly everything in you is defensive and doesn't want to get, get, get close. And you're easily offended. Why? Because there's no more room. There's no more, more room. Forgiveness gets it out of there. Let me tell you what happens with, with forgiveness. Forgiveness makes room for God to go to work for you. 
When you make this conscious decision to let it go, to forgive, to turn this over to the work of the Spirit, God is free to go to work for us. And in Proverbs 16, verse 7, it says, When the Lord takes pleasure in anyone's way, and in this context, this would mean that you have now decided, I'm going to forgive somebody. When he sees that and takes pleasure in it, it says he causes their enemies to make peace with them. What does that mean? It means that when you decide that you want to forgive other people, God goes to work on your enemy to make this thing right. So I'm going to go this far with it. That there are some occasions where God wants to take you from forgiveness to reconciliation. Where He wants to bring it back together. Proverbs 20 and 22 says, Do not say I'll pay you back for this wrong. Wait for the Lord. He will avenge you. One version says, He'll take care of it. And again, this is a spiritual practice of releasing it, of being okay with it, of following Jesus in this practice where where we say, I'm not going to let that thing stay in my head for 20 years. Remember I had an argument in my early years with with my sister. It it caused a severance. We didn't talk for a while and we were both hurt, and I think, I think we, we said words. Here we are, we're both in the ministry. We'd said words, and this happened in my late teens or early 20s. And after her cancer diagnosis, we were talking one day, and we were on the phone with each other. We were actually talking about my mother's, my mother having cancer, but she had cancer too, my sister. And somehow this got brought up, this wedge between us. And we got to laughing because it had been 20 years. And we didn't even know what we were mad about. We were talking about it. We were like, I mean, I know that happened and that happened. But, I mean, do you remember what, what, what we said? I don't remember. I mean, do you remember like, like the original conversation? Like what, what the original words were that caused us to be hurt to each? No, I, I don't remember that. We got to laughing about it. We could not come up with the reason we had even been mad. This is what bitterness does. It starts off really clear, and as time goes on, it gets foggy and foggy. And it just pushes and expands things out of the way, including clarity. Forgiveness makes room. It also makes room for more mental real estate. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to avoid you. I can go places in peace. I can go into any restaurant. I can go into any store. And if I bump into you, I can be a mature follower of Jesus Christ. I don't have to go into fifth grade mode. I can be mature about it. I can see you. I can bless you. I can thank God for you. I can be glad that things are going well over your life. I can do those things. Third, don't postpone your pardon. Don't wait. Okay? Look. Don't wait. Don't wait. Okay, here's where the rubber meets the road. Because you're like, I mean, like, I really got to do something about this? 
Yeah, we really do. Don't postpone your pardon. Proverbs chapter 3 gives us two really good nuggets. So good I separated them. I didn't want to do verse 27 through 28. I want to do 27, and then I want to do 28 because it's so good. Verse 27 says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. You say, well, Kevin, I got you right there because they don't deserve it. To whom it is due. Okay, that, that, that rules them out. Well, it rules you out too. Basically, this verse is saying, when you have the ability to bless somebody else, don't withhold it. Let it go. Bless them. Put it on them. And then he follows up the very next verse and he says, Do not say to your, your, your neighbor, which also equates to friend, do not say to your friend, come back tomorrow and I'll give it to you when you already have it with you. Again, he's saying if you have something somebody needs, give it. And if we look at this over the context of what we're talking about today, we have the ability to set some people free. Here's the hard part about this topic, preaching about, about this, is that we always tend to speak it from being offended. But I can't tell you the times I've been the offender. That I have been the, the person to cause the offense. You know, as, as a church, we've hurt people before. Unintentionally. But we've done it. We've said things that got misconstrued. I've taught something that's been offensive. I've said something in counseling that didn't line up with somebody's belief. And we've, we've hurt people. I've come across strong in some circumstances. I've come across soft in others. And it's been offensive. Even when we don't realize that we're doing it, sometimes we just hurt people. And so throughout this process, this needs to be a double-edged sword. God, I want forgiveness toward those that I have hurt, but also those that have hurt me. I just, I let it go. I forgive them. I move on. I'm not going to live my life dodging circumstances. But I want to be free of this. And I would say in the world in which we live, it is so easy to be offended and to offend. To, to leave a, a room and go, I, I'm just, I don't even want to be friends with those people anymore. It's so easy. And some of that is a maturity problem. But I would say that still there's just this, we are more connected and more disconnected at the same time than we've ever been. We have access to each other's lives. Let me end, end with this. A few years ago, I went to see a, a financial counselor. I wasn't pleased with where I was in terms of a future plan 
felt behind. It's always discouraging when you look at your investments because you want it to be more, always. And I'll never forget the words of this guy. And when he told me this, it not only spoke to my mind, but it, it flooded over my spirit. He was talking about starting. Like, like just, just being accountable to it. Just knowing that, that you're not happy with where you are financially. That, that was the context. But he made this statement. He said, Kevin, 20 years ago, was a great day to plant a tree. But today's a great day to plant a tree too. And I wrote it down because he didn't realize it, but he ministered to me. It was like, right now is a good day to do some good things. To start over in some areas. To let some people go. To let some things go. It had been clouding my 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 mind. It was a good day to plant a tree. And and maybe maybe you need to hear that today too. You know, it would have been great for us to let some people off the hook twenty years ago, or fifteen, or ten, or five. But today's a good day too. It's not too late to win in this area. I preach this message today not because it's popular, but because it makes us all better. And it makes our church better. And it comes from a place of love. And so I, I challenge all of us today to have an assessment, to ask the Father, again, search me. In this area, am I harboring things? Have I suppressed something so deep that it's changed my behavior even though I haven't given it time? Am I still upset about a decades-old circumstance? Do I need to call somebody? Do I need to reach out? Do I need to send an email? Do I need to write a card? Do I need to go invite somebody? For a meal or a cup of coffee and make it right. Listen, only you and the Holy Spirit can determine that. Only you can. But don't carry this anymore. Don't do it. Turn this over to the Spirit and His strength. And let's do some forgiving. Amen? Amen. Why don't you bow your heads with me real quick this morning?